in the year 1800. In the Versailles-inspired gardens of Kilrudgery House in County Wicklow, a special tree was planted. In 1911, it was struck by lightning, causing many of the larger branches to split and to fall, and yet it survived. Today, it is deemed such a unique specimen that it even appears on the little tourist map that you're given when you pay your admission fee. Now, in the same way that my tree-deprived Icelandic friend Johannes was forced to disappoint his three tree-deprived Icelandic children upon their visit to this tree in the gardens of Kilrudgery House, I'm afraid that I must do the same to you. For today's tree is tree number 50. The Strawberry Tree The Strawberry Tree, Arbutus unedo. And despite its name, it is not the tree from which we pick strawberries. But that is not to say that this is not a very special tree indeed. Uploading the secrets and stories beneath the 56-ish native trees of the British Isles. The strawberry tree is a member of the Ericaceae, a family of plants which includes heathers and rhododendrons, cranberries and bilberries, and is a huge family that stretches across the globe. On the British Isles, in the wild, strawberry trees can reach around 9 or 10 metres tall. But members of the Ericaceae tend to be smaller plants and shrubs that dominate the poor, acidic soils of our peaty uplands and our lowland heathlands. These soils do contain life-supporting nutrients, but they're hard to get at. They are tied up in the undecomposed plant remains that we call peat. Getting access to these nutrients is made even harder still due to the acidic conditions present, which interferes with their uptake. So to get to them, the Ericaceae needs friends. Very close-knitted friends, in fact. Most of the Ericaceae has evolved mycorrhizal relationships, but mycorrhizal relationships with a different group of fungi to that of our native mycorrhizal trees. These special fungi are ones that have saprophytic abilities. They actively break down organic material, such as peat, and take up the resulting nutrients, offering it up to the plants in exchange for their sugars. But whereas the roots of our mycorrhizal pines, oaks, beeches, birches, willows, etc. form a relationship with their fungus that resembles that of a foot wearing a sock, the Ericaceae prefer a much closer relationship. The fungus here literally penetrates the cells of the roots, where it forms dense coils of hyphae. These species, both plant and fungus, become literally knotted together at a cellular level. It is this penetration of the roots that makes this symbiosis particularly successful in these poorer soil conditions. And if this sounds similar to the swamp-loving alder and its relationship with the bacterium frankia, then that is because it's basically the same kind of thing. To demonstrate just how successful this relationship can be, take, for example, the chlorophyll-lacking plants like the monotropa, or ghost tubes. Ghost tubes are members of the Ericaceae, just like our strawberry tree, but they miraculously survive happily on a completely shaded forest floor. They lack the sunshine needed to create energy, and they also lack the cells needed to photosynthesize, even if there was any, and yet they thrive. For ghost tubes are plants that get pretty much everything they need from its fungal friends. Incredible. But the strawberry tree, as you're about to learn for a whole host of reasons, likes to do things just a little differently. For the strawberry tree does all of the above, like its fellow members of the Ericaceae, 
but it does it with the same fungal species that form those sock-like ectomycorrhizal associations with our other native trees. But this is not the strangest thing to know about our strawberry tree, or at least not where this podcast is concerned. The strawberry tree on the British Isles is not native to mainland Britain. No, here the strawberry tree, quite uniquely, is native only to the Irish counties of Cork, Kerry and Sligo, being particularly prominent on the mountainsides of Killarney National Park. Here it grows on the thin soils of scrub and in the open woodland of Rocky Lake shorelines. This Irish population is a disjunct isolated one, for strawberry trees can normally be found growing in the warmer parts of northwest Europe, such as Spain and Portugal. Its prevalence here has meant that it has even found its way onto the coat of arms of Madrid, alongside a bear, a great statue of which, entitled El Oso y el Madroño, can be found at the centre of the city in the Puerta del Sol. But how can a tree be native to pockets of Western Ireland and to northwestern Europe, but not to the British mainland? Irish folklore, as is often the way, has an explanation. Hopefully you will remember Fionn McCool with his hazelnuts and his thumb of knowledge from the hazel episode a few weeks back. Well, when he got old, he fell for a much younger woman. You know how myths go. Her name was Gronya, and she herself was in love with another man, Dermot. It's the same kind of triangular tryst as Guinevere and Lancelot, or Tristan and Isolde. You know the kind of thing. Anyway, Gronya and Dermot flee from the aged Fionn, and much peril is faced. Giants are fought for rowan berries, cloaks of invisible heather are woven, makeshift beds of birch twigs are slept upon, you name it, Gronya, Dermot, and a plethora of native trees faced it. But in one particular episode, the gods of Old Ireland, the Tuatha de Danann, come from the Celtic otherworld, Tyr Terangira, to feed the now pregnant Gronya the life-supporting delicacy of not strawberry strawberries, the fruit of the strawberry tree. But the old gods, being a little clumsy, dropped a few not-strawberry strawberries in Kalani and spilled a few in Sligo on their way to meet pregnant Gronya, presumably having picked up their cargo from Spain en route. And there you have it. It was thus the Irish strawberry tree was naturalised to Ireland in small, disjointed pocket populations, but not to the British mainland. And if you find that a little hard to stomach, well, then perhaps it's got something to do with climate. The strawberry tree, along with our holly, is a relic from the semi-tropical laurisilva forests that covered Europe some 60 million years ago. Back then, days were consistently warm and perpetually wet. Well-suited trees possessed evergreen foliage that benefited from year-round warmth and sunshine, and glossy leaves that could easily shed all of that water. The shiny evergreen leaves of both holly and our strawberry tree are an obvious giveaway of their exotic pasts. Jump forward to a mere six or seven thousand years ago, during the warm and the wet Atlantic period, which I discussed in the Lime Tree episode of a fortnight back, and the strawberry tree was seduced to expand its territory further north, all the way up the damp western fringes of Europe, all the way up the west coast of Ireland. To back this up, there are fossil records in Killarney of 6,000-year-old strawberry tree pollen. As the climate cooled again, the strawberry tree's ability to survive diminished, and so populations of the tree retreated further south once again. Tracking historical plant distribution, it seems, is much like watching a weather-dependent yo-yo. 
Thankfully, however, areas of western and particularly southwestern Ireland have a rather mild wet climate that suits exiles from the Laura Silver well. Indeed, there are a number of Mediterranean species that thrive particularly well in Ireland. So, these Irish relic populations of strawberry trees, cut off from their nearest other native populations, are now the most northerly ones in all of Europe. They survive in areas with just about the correct climate to maintain a population foothold. So, along with help from its very special fungal friends, the strawberry tree continues to hold on as a native Irish tree species. Young strawberry trees also benefit from some additional help from beneath the ground. The tree, which above ground can often be seen to grow from multiple stalks, all sprout from one single buried, and here's the word of the day, lignotuber. A lignotuber is a woody underground structure that hosts dormant buds which can sprout up when the above ground plant is chopped down, burnt, or eaten by ravenous folkloric pregnant lovers. This feature is characteristic of many other plants growing in Mediterranean habitats that are prone to brush fires. And in this way, one plant may live for quite a number of years, surviving a number of life-threatening events above the ground. The lightning strike that hit the Kilruddery strawberry tree in 1911, had it been more severe, still may not have been enough to kill the tree outright. Now, the fruit of the strawberry tree, as far as I can find out, doesn't have a name in English, and it's not like you can call it a strawberry without getting thoroughly confused. So, forgive me, but from this point forward, I will be referring to the berry of the strawberry tree as a strawb. Now, Elizabethan herbalist hunk John Gerard says, and I've taken the liberty to bring him on board with my preferred terminology, Strawbs are of a cold temperature, hurting the stomach and causing headache, wherefore no wholesome food though it be eaten in some places by the poorer sort of people. This is pretty much what you would expect a posh Tudor Englishman to say about a plant only naturally found in Ireland. It's about the same amount of respect the current English government is showing Ireland through the implementation of the Northern Irish Protocol. But politics aside, he's not alone in dissing the Straub's gastronomical potential. The tree's specific name, Unedo, is supposedly a contraction of Pliny the Elder's comment on the Straub's. His thoughts... Unum tantum edo, shortened to unedo, means I eat only one. Now, whether this means they're simply uninteresting, or worse, disgusting, is still up for debate. But straws are edible berries. Birds like to eat them, which is how the seeds are dispersed, and humans can make from them good jams, or, as I can personally testify, a potent Portuguese straw-flavoured home-brewed firewater that tastes not like wild berries, but more like your throat is being dissolved in acid. Straws are about the size of a large gooseberry, and with a rough surface like that of the lychee. The straw, when ripe, is scarlet, hence why they named them for the strawberry. But they also go through a brilliant yellow stage as they ripen. The tree ultimately can be found bearing both its fruits, yellow and red straws, as well as its delicate, translucent, cream-coloured, bell-shaped flowers, all at the same time. Four straws take a full 12 months to ripen, which means, come September, you're in for quite a visual treat if you can track down a strawberry tree. Yellows, reds creamy flowers, and the darkest of glossy, laurasilver, green, finely serrated leaves. You may even be fortunate enough to find a wild variant that has scarlet bell-shaped flowers too. 
Now, I was hoping to record this episode out in Kalani National Park next to a fruiting strawberry tree and give you all the aural treat of hearing my mastication of wild straws. But an exceptionally hot summer and unprecedented Irish wildfires rather damaged my hopes of doing that. Roughly 3,000 of Killarney National Park's 5,000 hectares were damaged by fire, causing long-term harm to the protected area's biodiversity, which, strawberry trees aside, is also particularly important for the Irish population of hen harriers. Needless to say, here's hoping the strawberry trees' lignotubers will be working overtime to keep these unique Irish trees holding on. And that is that, the straw-bearing strawberry tree. A funny old thing, but well worth roaming Western Ireland to see a few. Now, you've a well-known big hitter next week, The Ash, so prepare yourself. But until then, thanks again for listening. Please leave us a review where it helps, and I will be back in a week's time with another native British tree. Thank you very much for listening. Bye-bye. Uploading the secrets and stories beneath the 56-ish native trees of the British.